0: The Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Kerry here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. You know, it's not every day that you get a living legend on the podcast, but that's what we got today. The John Maxwell is in the house, and we have a fun wide-ranging, super helpful conversation. Think of it as leadership on steroids for the next hour. And today's episode is brought to you by Glue & Belay. You can go to get.glue.us slash reach to sign up and join a growing number of churches that are meeting people who want to attend church and connecting with them. And by valet, do you have a few things you wish you could cross off your to-do list for good? Well, delegation is key. Text my name, Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123. Get a free resource on the top 25 tasks a pastor can delegate to an assistant. So John Maxwell is going to talk about his lessons from speaking in public 13,000 times. And we go back to the very beginning and why he wasn't very good at speaking in public and how he got better. I asked him about the biggest changes in leadership in the last five years. It was so good, so good. Uh, the biggest differences between preaching and when he started public speaking and the five things he does every day. Plus, we cover an awful lot more, including you know his debut in Nashville. Do you know he's on Spotify now? He, he actually wrote songs. And uh, so we go there as well. This is just a, a really great conversation. So thank you, John, for your generosity with time. John C. Maxwell is a number one New York Times bestselling author, a speaker, a coach, and a leader who has sold more than 34 million books. That's crazy. He is the founder of Maxwell Leadership, a leadership development organization that has trained tens of millions of leaders in every nation. Having been recognized as the number one leader in business and as the world's most influential leadership expert, Maxwell continues to influence individuals and organizations worldwide from Fortune 500 CEOs and national leaders to entrepreneurs and the leaders of tomorrow. And you know, when you hang out with John, you know the first thing he asks, he goes, "Carrie, how's it going with you? Like, what's up with you? He is so interested in the other person. And uh, I've just had such a great experience in working with John. So I think you're really gonna love this. Hey, if you're new to this podcast, Uh, We do bring you guests like John Maxwell on a regular basis. So please uh, subscribe and maybe share it with a friend. Share it with your team. Let some people know out there. Send them a text. You can always easily copy the link to this and then let some people know and give John and I a shout out on social. We would love to hear from you. So a question for you. Are you ready to revolutionize the way your church connects with your community? Then you're going to want to learn about the Glue Explorer Connection platform. Here's how it works. So Glue partners with Christian outreach programs like He Gets Us, K-Love, and Churches Care. Millions of people see these. And what happens is when they get inspired by these incredible campaigns, when someone does to explore their faith, all they do is send a text. Glue gets that text and sends it to a local church like yours to say, hey, you know what? This person wants to connect with a local pastor. And then a pastor, maybe you, maybe a ministry leader, or maybe a volunteer from your church receives that notification in the platform and can build a connection through texting. In other words, they connect you with people who are seeking in your community. So they have made over 170,000 connections between local explorers and local churches. So if you are not in on that yet and want to be, go to get.glue.us reach to create your account today. The people in your community want to connect with a church why wouldn't you be there for them? Go to get.glue.us slash reach and join a growing number of churches who are transforming their outreach strategies using this approach. And then I want you to imagine it's summer, right? Taking a week-long vacation or even just spending an entire day with your family and not even touching your phone for work Once. Maybe you don't even bring your phone. Now, I know for a lot of us, the thought of leaving our phones behind sends a cold shiver down our spine for a lot of reasons. But if the first thing that went through your mind was, I can never check out of work for that long, or things at work would just fall apart without me, that might mean you're not delegating enough or you're not delegating to the right people. And delegation is so important because you'll never thrive in leadership if you're stuck in the day to day grind of mundane tasks. So Belay's modern staffing solutions have been helping busy leaders like you delegate the details for over a decade. With Belay, you can get intentionally matched with a U.S.-based virtual assistant, accounting specialist, or social media manager to level up your leadership through the power of delegation. To help you get started, Belay is offering a free resource. It's called The Top 25 Tasks a Pastor Can Delegate to an Assistant. It has, free of charge, 25 ideas for things you might need to start delegating now so you can focus on what matters most. So to claim it, just text my name, Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123. That's C-A-R-E-Y, Carrie to 55123. In no time, you'll be back to doing only what you can do growing your church. And you know what? That is something John Maxwell has done so well. So let us dive into my conversation with the one and only John Maxwell. John, welcome back to the podcast.
1: It's good to be back with you again. Gosh, I'm excited about what's happening to you in your career. You just keep growing and helping more people. And thanks for letting me come and be a part of your team today.
0: Well, you've been a big part of that. I'll tell you, you've been a mentor from afar to me and someone I've gotten to know over the last couple of years. Really appreciate your leadership and really appreciate you coming back on to talk about communication and whatever else happens to be on your mind. So, you know, the last five years, you and I were talking before we hit record how publishing has changed so much. But I want you to think back on the last five years when the world has changed, things are sort of back to normal now.
1: What is the biggest change in leadership, John, that you've seen in the last five years? Well, there has been some real changes in leadership, no question about it. First of all, the people are more insecure than they ever have been before. Wow. Hmm. They're less hesitant to take action. Uh, Because of COVID, we all had a tendency to get lazy. Hmm. Uh, the, The difference was before COVID, you could lead with a... Quite a bit of clarity and certainty, and the people would seem to respond to it. Today, uh, the people almost set the agenda as much as the leaders. Wow! And and that's a huge change. That's a huge change. I and, and they they certainly have more questions than they used to have, and so leadership has to be more patient today. Uh, leadership has to have a, a an understanding. That you have to find the people before you lead the people. Uh, there used to be a time when the people just showed up and you let them. Now sometimes, sometimes they're not showing up. Hmm. And 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 uh, the, what happens is during difficult times, the tendency for people is is for them to freeze. They just to kind of stop and say, I, I I don't have this figured out, so I'm going to do nothing until I can get it figured out. If you if you even go back. Uh, so, like old people and I do, if you go back to nine mm-hmm. uh, eleven I back then I had a, a a a very successful stewardship company that helped nonprofits. We raised billions of dollars for people to you know build buildings, et cetera. okay. We would sign contracts across America every day, every day contracts. when nine eleven hit, from 9-11 to the end of the year, we didn't sign one contract. Wow, everybody froze. Everybody thought, "Oh my gosh, I can't do anything. I'm just going to hold and see what's happening here." COVID did that to us again, made people a lot more tentative, and so and, and then it it caused a uh, uh, you know it caused a lot more social media has, has created more self expression, hmm. and so what happens now as a leader? Uh, where at one time you could basically say, here's the agenda. Uh, does it look good? Let's go. Mm-hmm. Now, when you raise your hand and say, here's the agenda, there's a high possibility that somebody in the audience says, well, here's my agenda. Yep. And, it's not the same, and it's not the same agenda. Now, we can either say, well, I'm the leader, so get on my agenda or get lost. And in that case, a lot of people get left behind and get lost. Or I can look and say, well, let me see what your agenda looks like. I'm interested because this must be important to you. Hmm. And I lead them I if I can lead them where they are I'll be much more successful than expecting them to lead where I am. So I think leadership is a little slower I think a leadership asks more questions I think leadership gives more grace today and understanding today. Good I'm talking about good leadership. Now, yeah yeah. Uh, uh, than, than ever before. So when you ask the question it's, it's changed it's changed a lot. And, and leaders that have that ability to be aware and make those changes are going to be very effective. Leadership still effective. It just isn't effective in the same way that it was four or five years ago.
0: That's a lot of insight for two minutes, John. <laughs> here's, a, here's a question behind the question. How do you pick up? Like, that was so profound, those two minutes. Like, we could unpack. We're going to talk about communication. We could unpack the next hour. On those trends alone. How do, you, how do you stay current? How do you observe? How do you figure out, oh, this is what's shifting in leadership? Because I've asked that question a number of times. I don't think I've ever gotten an answer that succinct.
1: Well, it's awareness. Mm. And, and let me say something. It, it's Lack of awareness creates assumptions. And assumptions are the mother of all mess-ups in leadership. If I assume, Carrie, I know where you are, yeah. but you're not there, I'm leading you, but I'm not leading you effectively. Nobody's home. Nobody's, the lights aren't even turned on. So uh, the, the awareness is important. And where do you get awareness? You get awareness by being with the people. You don't get awareness by uh, reading a book about it. You you, mm-hmm. you go out. And the reason I have insight is because I've been leading people during this time. And and when I'm leading people, I'm finding what I did doesn't work very much anymore. And so I go and I, I it, hey, instead of giving direction, I ask questions. And what I do is I come into your life, Carrie, and I say, Carrie, you know, I would sure like us to do something together. Mm-hmm. But I, I wouldn't want to assume maybe you don't want to do anything with me. So d- does that, you know, does that interest you at all? You say, well, John, yeah, I'd love to do something with you. And I say, well, then what would you like to do? Yeah. I'm not telling you what I want to do. What would you like to do? And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for something you'd like to do that I am either good at and I can help you do it, or that at least I'm interested in the fact of let's learn it together. But I'm going to let you pretty well tell me what you think. And it's going to be off of your thoughts and your feelings that I'm going to prepare some kind of a leadership plan for us but it's all because I'm asking questions. I, I'm not going to assume that you want to be on my team. I'm not going to even assume you want to go where I want to go. By the way, I'm not assuming that I want to go where you want to go either. I mean, that's the reason I'm asking questions because you may have something that's completely way beyond my bandwidth and I can't help you at all. It's, it's something I know nothing about I wouldn't be any good at. But, but there's a, a you don't know answers if you try to give answers. You know answers if you ask questions. And the moment I ask questions, it opens another question. What did you do just a moment ago? Well, a follow-up of your last question. Now, you didn't start off with the second question. You didn't even have the second question. The first question gave you the second question. If you wouldn't ask the first question, you wouldn't have gotten the second question. But every time you ask another question, guess what? We get closer. We go deeper. The understanding, the light begins to come on. And so it's it's having a real sense of awareness, which comes from me valuing you as a person enough to ask your opinion. You know, is think about it is is there a higher compliment, Carrie, that somebody coming up to you and saying, "Could you give me your opinion on this? I have been doing a lot of thinking on it, but I've been thinking about you, and I've I've thought, I wonder what Carrie would do on this. Carrie, tell me what you would give me some advice here. Oh, my gosh, you're going, oh, here I am. Well, it's it's like before we had all the technology asking somebody for directions. They would stop anything to give directions. Why? Because they knew something that you didn't know, and it helped them to feel important. Hmm. And so in leadership today, we have to interact more. We have to walk slower through the crowd. We have to ask more questions. We have to really find the people. The moment we find them I think leadership still is leadership now let's get going let's 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 get an agenda but now it's not my agenda it's our agenda what what what's kuosness and Posner say they say you know we, we great leaders take the vision from me to we hmm. well today we is humongous
2: yeah
1: I, I don't know many great me leaders going around right now it it. Hmm. it if you're not a we leader and you're not inclusive and you're not bringing other people in on the thought process and giving them credit for what they're doing and how they're adding value, you're going to be you're going to be a lonely leader, right? You just are.
0: Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Is this you know, John? We talked about your age last time you were on, and I mean, you're just leading so incredibly well as a leader in your seventies, but. Your generation, to some extent, even leaders my age, we often get accused of doing top down leadership, right? The opposite of what you have been talking about. Is this, uh, has this been you from the very beginning where it's like, oh, let me find out what we can do together. Let me listen to you. Or is that something you had
1: to learn as a leader? Oh, no, I, I, I wish I was that good. I wasn't. No, 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 no. I, we're talking now about. In fact, we're talking about now. Carry one of the one of the uh, laws in my communication book, and that's the law of collaboration. Mm-hmm. And the law of collaboration says some of my best thinking has been done by others. When when Carrie, when I was a young leader, I didn't collaborate at all. Mm-hmm. I I felt that it would show weakness in my leadership. I, I felt that I was supposed to be Mr. Answer Man, that people hmm. were sitting on, hey, people were sitting outside, and they were waiting for me to come out and unveil the answer for their lives. And so I had almost this kind of messy anti- idea of, 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 I've got to come up with an answer, and then I'll give it to the people, and they'll applaud, and they'll get in line, and off we go. So in the beginning, I did way too much direction and not near enough interaction. And so what? I got caught. I got caught as a leader. I, I was leading by assumption, and if you lead by assumption, nobody's home. And so I, I'm off leading, and nobody—it's you know, kind of like a—you know what the, you know the guide—if you go on a tour, you know what the guide's worst nightmare is, is that he or she is, is leading and turns around, and the, nobody's with her or him. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, I— I lost people. Well, that, I was losing my people all the time because I, I was, I was trying to be the person. In fact, I thought if I it, it'll show weakness if I ask other people's ideas or, you know, help me if I ask for somebody to help me. Well, they're going to look at me and say well, you are a weak leader. Little did I know that that shows strength because, uh, again, none of us is smart as all of us, and 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 we're just we're just we're just better together. So in the beginning. I, I I didn't do it right at all. I, I, you know, it, somebody asked me one time. Said, "How did you get so good?" And I said, "By being so bad." You, you know, do this mm-hmm. enough, and you say, "You know what? This doesn't work." Let's 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 go. You know, and and you know, and, and so I, when it didn't work, I said, "Well, that didn't work." And I wonder what does work, and what I found. In fact, what I tell leaders, really, and communicators, in fact, for anybody who wants to lead well or communicate well, the law of collaboration is the most important law.
2: Hmm.
1: You you just need to find good people to drop ideas by and let them improve you and and speak into your life. It, it, I became, as I matured, Kerry, I became a feedback fanatic. Hmm. And, and I, how did I do? And what could I have done better? And what would you have done better? And, 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 and give me feedback. Give me feedback because... It was in the feedback that I was learning. It was in the learning that I was improving. And so the quick, the more people come and speak into my life, the quicker my life improves if I'm teachable and, and I, I'm listening and, and I'm humble and I'm willing to change. So, but no, in the beginning, in fact, if there was one wish, okay, hmm. if you say, John, you get one wish. I don't know. A genie is going to come and pop out of the bottle. You get one wish. My wish would be, The people could see me when I started.
2: Hmm.
1: I'd like to go back 50, 55 years ago. I'd like for them to hear me when I spoke the first time. I wasn't any good. Hmm. I I would like them to read my first book. It wasn't any good. If if they could have seen me back then, all all the people, hey, all the people on your podcast care, if they could have seen me in the beginning, everybody would be greatly encouraged. (laughs) They, they would be greatly encouraged because I'm not being humble yeah I wasn't any good
2: oh. but I, I was, was
1: practicing a... I was trying you know what yeah. I'm saying I was you know you, I have a I have a teaching that a lecture that says you're never good the first time and so mm. when somebody says, well, I've never done that before so I'm really working hard to do well I say, oh relax take a pill you're not gonna be that good. <laughs> nobody's good the first time you're not good the second time you're not too hot the third time but but it's a process of, of 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 practicing and learning and becoming aware and then improving that gets us to 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 where we want to go.
0: What was it like the first time you communicated?
1: It was terrible. <laughs> I, I I'm not being nice and humble. It was terrible. Yeah. What happened was okay. Here's the story. I was a, God, <laughs> you know I I I I was a theology major. I was for 25 right. years a, a pastor. Carry okay. So I'm a theolog so I, I go with one of my closest friends to hear him preach his first message. We went to a little church and I went there to encourage him. It was his first time preaching, and he was terrible he was, he was, he was, i mean it was the worst thing i it was you can't even make up how bad he was he he, he I would say he lost his way, but to lose your way meant, meant that you had a way <laughs> He got up and he was confused from the beginning, and he was sweating. Oh, he was sweating and 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 he's a little church. I bet there's 20 people out there, and I'm yeah. on the front row, ready to encourage Don. Come on, buddy and and and, and he was sweating. He'd wipe sweat. He oh God, help me! Oh God, help me! And he'd say a couple of things and Oh God, help me! God help me! <laughs> he'd say a couple of things, and it lasted for three minutes. I mean, he said nothing except God help me and sweat. And, and, and you know, in the beginning, I'm just on the front row saying, oh, God, help him. And after about a minute of it, I'm saying, God, help us. God, help us. for you know, Strike us with deafness. Do something. You know what I mean? Because it was terrible. Uh-huh. Okay. I should have never gone. Because the next week, that I was going to preach my first message. And all I could think about was how bad he was. And three minutes, and God helped me in sweat. And I said, I just can't, I, I, I've i got to be better than that. I have to be better than that. So I worked on my, all week long, I worked on my message I was going to preach, in, and it was seven pages, okay? Get the picture, seven pages. I'm going to, not the same, but another little country church, and I don't, I want to last longer than three minutes. I, that's my goal. My goal isn't to help anybody, change anybody's life, add value to anybody, is could could I just speak over three minutes, not sweat, and not say, God, help me, every other phrase. <laughs> So I took Margaret. You know, Margaret. I've been married for fifty-four years, but she was my—I was engaged to her at that time. So I took her with me, and 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 and, and my my sermon outline was uh, creation, uh, prayer, faith, Bible study, sharing your faith, uh, obedience. In other words, I I just put you really narrowed the focus there, John. On that one. I was I was one I, I was like the third grader who got up and said I'd like to talk about the world and all that is within it. <laughs> I was so happy. I never said God help me. I never sweat. I finished my message. Margaret and I are going back to the campus, and she's very quiet, uh. which should have been enough for me to realize I'm in deep weeds. I finally looked at her and I said, "Well, how how did I do?" And she said, "Well," she said, "You went longer than three minutes." And I thought, oh, thank you. Well, that's good. I I went long and through. I said, how long did I speak? And she said, 55 minutes. (laughs) My first message, 55 minutes. I put those people to sleep. I went back the next year to preach at the same church, and I thought the first thing I'm going to do is apologize. I'm going to just say, I'm I'm so sorry that, that I did that to you last year. And then I started laughing at myself and realized there won't be one sane person that heard me last year. Come back to hear me again. They're, hey, they're staying away, baby. They're tapping they out. They're, <laughs> they're like, I yeah. remember that guy. But that's that's where it started. Yeah. You know. So people say, well, how did you look at you now? Well, look at me now. I've I've spoken thirteen thousand times. Hello. Mm-hmm. If you can't be good after thirteen thousand times, give it up. You know, do something else. And so I I think what we miss so much in improving our life is that. We have to practice, and we have to be aware in our practice to improve ourselves. And if we do that, it, it's, it's only a matter of time until we'll, we'll get better. But it doesn't show up in the beginning. So hmm. what happens is in the beginning of communi- practicing, communicating, leadership, whatever, in the beginning, nothing shows up. It just gets stored up. Hmm. Hmm. And for a long time, what you do in the beginning gets stored up. It's there. You're improving, but it doesn't show up. No one sees it. You don't see it. No one else sees it. But then all of a sudden, after store up, store up, store up, store up, all of a sudden, it goes up over the top. It spills over. And you go, oh, my gosh, I just improved. Well, you've been improving the whole time, but now it's starting to show up. And I think that's the big miss. I think people get uh, weary in storing up and, and, and discouraged, and so they finally just chuck it when in reality they were just about ready for it to show up but but they didn't they you know consistency compounds but in the beginning there's nothing exciting about there's no there's no compounding in the beginning there's just very small incremental adding it doesn't compound till you're out on the other side does that make sense
0: Makes a lot of sense. Thank you for being honest about your humble beginnings, you know, as I was preparing for today. I don't know. Did you ever read Tom Long from Princeton? Did you ever read his stuff? He did a book called Preaching in the Literary Forms of the Bible. One of the things I'm sure I misinterpreted it was you're supposed to follow the structure of the Bible. So I was preaching on Psalm 23, and I thought, well, I guess I got to preach a poem. So I wrote a 30-minute message as a poem. (laughs) Again, Little Country Church, John, north of Toronto. There were like 30 people there. It was an unmitigated disaster. I mean, you know when you're 20 minutes into it and you're like, oh, oh yeah. I'm not even interested in this. This is a train wreck. Like, pull me off the stage. This is, pull me up from behind the pulpit. It was a disaster. So we, we both shared our own weaknesses. I'd love to know, and we're going to get into some of the laws. When you were writing this, 16 Undeniable Laws of Communication... What are some of the top mistakes you see communicators making today?
1: Well, the top mistake is uh, communicators that take themselves too seriously. Mm -hmm. So if you were to say, forget 16 laws, John, what's the one thing you want to say to the audience to become a better communicator? The one thing I would say is you have to get over yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have to get over myself. Because I don't have the ability, or nor do either, neither do any of your people that are on your podcast have the ability to focus on me and focus on you at the same time. And and what we focus on expands. So if I focus on me and I, I say, "Boy, I hope the people like me." My gosh! I wow! I I hope that they when they're done, I hope they applaud. Maybe maybe I'll get a standing ovation. Oh my gosh! And 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 oh, I I, I hope they tell me at the end that you know that was like a life changing lesson that I learned. Yeah, whenever it's on me, it can't be on you. Hmm. And the only way that I can get from me to you is to get over myself and to understand that when I communicate, it is all, not mostly, it's all about the people. Hmm. I'm there for them. I'm there to add value to them. I'm there to uh, connect with them. And the moment that it's about them, all of a sudden, they begin to lean in. If it's about me, then at best, they passively listen. If it's about them, they actively listen. And so, therefore, uh, the first thing I would tell people is, is, as a communicator, is it's not about you. I was getting ready to speak in Akron, Ohio, a couple of years ago to about 5,000 people, and it was a speaker's day, so there were other speakers in the green room. And I'm about five minutes out, and one of, the, one of the other speakers came up and said, John, what are you thinking right now? And I said, well, I'm just thinking about the people. Hmm. And he got real, he said, you're kidding. I said, no. I, I said, He said, I thought you'd tell me you were thinking about your teaching and your lesson. or well, I said, no, no, I, I, I know what the lesson is. But I don't know the people. It, it's, I, I've got to connect with the people. I, I've got to take what I know, the lesson, and I have to do it in such a way that it fits the people and that the people feel it's just for them. And maybe if they were the only one in the audience, I would speak it just to them one-on-one. It's all about the people. And and you can't have it all about the people if it's all about you. So you just kind of, you know, what Kuzis and Pazer said, what, they t- you take the vision from me to we. You take the message from me to we. Uh, and so to get the we involved, it, I, I just have to be where the people are. So interestingly. Um, I heard about a year and a half ago from a a guy that has a large writing company in Nashville. And he said, I built my business off of your books, and I would like to meet you. So I met him, and and uh, he said, I think you ought to write songs about your books. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm you know, I'm not a songwriter. I do write poetry to my kids and my grandkids on their birthday, every, every birthday. Mm-hmm. At 3.30 in the morning, I send the poem to who, whichever grandchild it is so they know when they wake up, they can just turn on their iPhone and Papa's got a poem for them. So I like to write poetry, but I mean, I'm not a skilled poet at all. And now, and he said, I'll, I'll give you the best writers in Nashville, you know, guys that do number one hits. So I went up to the studio and it was so much fun. Oh my gosh, I learned so much. And you've heard me say, if you're at the head of the class, you're in the wrong class. Mm-hmm. Well, I, hey, going up there, I'm at the bottom of the class. I mean, I'm... I, I, I'm not even sure they're going to let me in the door. You know what I'm saying? But I learned so much. We had so much fun. And, and I got caught on. And we're throwing stuff on the wall and singing and seeing if it works. And, but one of the songs I wrote is entitled Get Over Yourself. And it comes from the 16 laws. And the chorus goes, if I can remember this right now, the chorus says, i got to find myself to know myself. i got to know myself to be myself. i got to be myself to improve myself. I got to improve myself so I can get over myself, so I can give myself to you. Wow. And, oh, this song is, it's out now. In fact, for is your it? people people in your part. Yeah. You, are you doing lead vocal on this, John? No, no. no. <laughs> who's who's yeah. singing? It? I'm doing words. If I do lead vocal, only my two closest friends will buy the song. You follow me? But <laughs> I, I could I do. But I, I'll tell you what. No, we have, we get great vocalists on it. Uh, there uh, it is. Nashville vocalists. And I'm telling you, the song is incredible, and it's out. So if your people have you got it right there, can you see it? Yeah, I can see it. Bobby yes. John
0: Maxwell, John C. Maxwell, and Bobby Hamrick. Get over yeah. myself, yeah. John C. Maxwell. Cool. Yeah,
1: get over. Yeah, it, okay. I, I hope your listeners will go to I don't know where Spotify, Amazon, wherever they go. There we are. Yeah. Do you You're have make it at there? least
0: forty two cents off the
1: streaming rights for that? That's incredible, right. John. Oh, I probably make two cents. I don't have a clue if so I make anything. To be honest with you, I'm doing it for fun. But d- 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 so, can you play it? Yeah, I can play it.
0: Totally. Oh,
1: just, just, just get to see if we can just Cheerio. do it
0: Oh, you want to go to Taurus? I don't know. We'll see. We can, we can dub this in. So we'll.
1: Oh, will you do it? Yeah, yeah.
0: So Toby, yeah, you can nice. dub this in. Let's hear. Oh. it. Here it is. Can you hear that?
1: That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. You don't do it Beautiful, John. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. So I did, there you are. World,
0: world debut in this podcast, John Maxwell's first song on
1: Spotify. Okay. Well, good. And then I did one called Day Day by Day from Today Matters. And then I did And then I got another one called Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn. That was just coming out in about a month. We're going to release Uh eight songs. We're going to do an album over the next year. Isn't that fun? That's amazing. What what, what was your, so when you go to the bottom of
0: the class, so to speak. Yes. What did you learn from writers in Nashville? What did you
1: learn through that process? Well, I learned so many. First of all, I walked in and I told him, I said, I'm at the bottom of the class. Now, if you're at the bottom of the class, the first thing you do is you're aware everybody's better than you. So I said, I'm aware everybody's better than me. So I probably have more questions than I have answers. And I'm gonna observe and watch you for a while just to see if I can catch on how you do it. How do you write music? How do you write songs? And what's crazy is, I've bet almost for an hour, they didn't write any music at all, songs. They just, they're, they're on their instruments and they're humming and they're humming out of tune. And I, of course, me, I'm, I'm sitting over there, You know, here's Fiddle Dee and Fiddle Dumb over there in the corner, and, and I'm, i And and what they're but they're musicians, and what I learned the first day is they have to feel their way into writing hmm. the music. They have to feel their way, and when they feel comfortable with a tune, then they know the words will follow. See, they didn't do the words first; they did the tune. And then they said, "Okay, let's put words with this tune. It's catchy. It it works. and and, and it was and so then they would throw out things and and and, and then I would I would, you know I kind of raise my hand They'd say yeah and I say can I throw out something? They would say sure, throw it out and I'd throw it out and they'd say that's good. They'd continue on <laughs> and 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 but what happened is throughout the day, I caught on, mm-hmm. and what was beautiful. We you know we we started at nine and we ended at four, and at four when we finished writing the song, we wrote the song that day. When we finished, they looked at me and said, "Let's do another one." And to me, that was the highest compliment. Hmm. I, I mean, I they could have been saying to each other, "Thank God he's gone." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. right. We did you do your favor, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We did us we did him a favor, and okay, you know we got we got a little ditty out there for him. But then they said, "Let's do some more." Wow. And they have been so encouraging to me. So I, you know, I come in and I share things. And on Get Over Yourself, I was a big John Wesley fan. Hmm. And John Wesley was the guy that says, give all you can to all the people you can, any place you can. Any... Hey, that's the last verse of Get Over Yourself. I, hey, John Wesley, in the 1700s, I got him. I got him alive again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, you know. You know, 300 years later, the guy's, guy's giving us stuff out again. But so it was a blast. It, it, it was a lot of fun. But going back to your question, without any question, you have to get over yourself. You, it, it's not about me. It's about the people. And when I have a greater desire, here's the difference. If it's about me when we're done, I want the people to just go, John's amazing. He's amazing. Oh, my gosh, he's amazing. If it's about them and I do a good job, when they walk out of the auditorium, they say, I'm amazing.
2: Mm.
1: There's a big difference between those two. Big difference. Can, can I do one more thing? Say, I, I can you do whatever you want. Yeah. More, okay. Okay. So when I'm writing these laws, what I loved is I've been doing. I've been communicating for so many years
2: mm-hmm.
1: that there's the stuff I know to teach, and then there's the stuff that intuitively I've never taught. Exactly. Yeah. But it's been inside of me, and it comes out when I communicate, and people kind of go, "Oh, wow, that was something." But I've never taught it, never taught them how, you know, how can you do that? And so in the law of preparation, Carrie, I was talking about the fact that there are two messages I teach or two lessons I teach at the same time the best message and then the big message. And the best message is what I've prepared for the audience. And I call it the best because I'm giving it my best shot. Okay. It's my best message. Okay. But it's, they're taking notes on it, it's what the subject is. Okay. So the best message they're taking notes on. The big message is from my heart. so I, I, i'm not I'm not expressing my heart in words, but they're picking up my heart in how I communicate. And so I, I I said every and that message, by the way, never changes. I maybe have a different audience with a different subject, so my best message changes all the time. My big message never changes. It's my DNA. It's who John Maxwell is. When you hear John Maxwell speak, it's oh my gosh. And, and and so, there are four questions you have to ask yourself to find out what your big message is. Because Carrie, mm-hmm. your big message would be different than mine. The people that are listening, they'll have a different big message. Again, it's all in the book on the sixteen laws. But there are four questions I ask. It's all about the audience. What do I want them? What do I want them to see? What do I want them to know? What do I want them to feel? and what do I want them to do?
2: Hmm.
1: Those are the four. Now, if you can answer those four questions on behalf of yourself, that is your big message. So for me, for an example, now this isn't anyone else's, but for me, what do I want the people to see? Whenever I speak, wherever I speak, whatever I'm speaking on, it doesn't matter. What I want them to see is their possibilities. Hmm. I'm a possibility communicator. What I do for people is I lift the lid for them. They see more about themselves, and they see more for themselves. I, I I'm a lid lifter. I went, so when I communicate, I'm lifting lids while I communicate the whole time. I want them to see the possibilities. Well, what? To, hey, what do I want them to know? Well, I want them to know that I value them. I want them to, as they're listening. I want them to say, "Man, John, he values who I am. <laughs> he really, he really believes in me." My gosh, he, he feels. I want them to. I want them to know that I value them. Well, what do I want them to? What do I want them to feel? I want them to feel empowered. (laughs) As I'm teaching, I want them to feel, I think I could do that. Oh my God. I want to put all the cookies on the lower shelf so everybody can have it. I want them to to feel empowered. Well, what do I want them to do? I want them to apply and multiply. I want them to apply the lesson to themselves. And then because I talk to leaders all the time, I want them to turn around and go to their teams and multiply all that stuff to do. Now, those are the four things that I want, I, I want them to see it, know it, feel it, and do it. That's my big message. That's my DNA. So when anybody comes to hear me speak, they don't consciously spell this out. But unconsciously, they say, if I hear John speak, I'll see more possibilities.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'll feel valued. Oh my gosh, I'll, I'll feel empowered. And I can go out and apply and do all this stuff. That's my, that, is, isn't that beautiful? Now, that came out of my. That came out of my intuitiveness. I've never talked about it. I've never written about. It. In fact, in the book, I tell people, this every chapter, every law, you'll read stuff on communication that you've never read from anyone else, and you've never heard anybody teach about. I can guarantee it. I know that because so much of that writing, I would spend a day sometimes just getting in touch with my intuitiveness and make myself flesh out what I felt and did naturally that another person can't feel and do naturally. They have to have it spelled out for them. And I just, I loved writing the book because it, it made me constantly get in touch with myself and, 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 and getting in touch with myself so I could touch the other people and help them again.
0: Well, I'm grateful that you've done this. To be able to articulate some of the secret sauce, some of the unspoken scripts, etc., John, has been such a gift to all of us. I'd encourage everybody to get the book. You open it with the law of credibility, but you also talk about authenticity. So that is a word that's been thrown around a lot. Do you want to talk about who the leader is and how that actually connects to public speaking into
1: the audience? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Well, my good friend Jamie Kern-Lima has this great statement. She says, authenticity does not guarantee success, hmm. but lack of it guarantees failure. Hmm. And, and, and I, I just buy into what she says. I think, it, I think it's so true. I think that we are the message. And, and, and so here's the, way I, here's, here's the way I would say this. When people don't know me, when I speak, they take my words pretty much at face value because they have they don't know me. They they have no backdrop to compare my words with my behavior. Yeah. They just they they are just hearing a teaching. So they kind of take my words for, you know, truth, or okay, this is what John says. But the more they know me, the less powerful my words become, and the more they look beyond my words to my actions, and to my behavior. True. So what happens is this. If my behavior doesn't match my words, very soon I lose credibility with people because they realize that what I say and what I do are not the same thing. Yeah. Now, let's turn that. Let's say, though, I am authentic and I am credible. And the longer they know me, the more that what my behavior is backs up my words. Now, all of a sudden, my words take on a whole new level of authority. So I tell people, with authenticity, with credibility, the longer they know you, the more moral authority your words have. (laughs) If I don't back up my words with my behavior, the more they know me, the less my words have any effect on them at all. So the words... Are only taken at face value in the beginning. Very soon, they are looking for backup of the life to match the words. That's why my definition of success. When I was in my mid-thirties, I was pastoring, mm-hmm. and my church was the tenth largest church in America, and my books were starting to sell. And all of a sudden, I I, I got a little bit concerned about success because I watched success take people completely. Off track. Hmm. I, I, I watched people lose things that were very valuable to them when they became successful. They just they let it go to their head, and and I thought, you know, you know, well, it's it's Bill Bill Gates says success is a lousy teacher. It makes people think they can't lose, and sure. so it, it. I began to say, oh crap, I better be careful here. This is not what I want. So I said, I better get my own definition of success. So for a few months, I worked on my own definition of success at 35. So go back, that's 40 years ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's still my definition of success. This really works. This is all about credibility. This is all about authenticity care. Mm. My definition of success is very simple. Those who know me the best love and respect me the most. Mm. There is something beautiful when people who know you well love and respect you more. Than people who don't know you well, and there's something quite ugly about people who don't know you well loving and respecting you more than the people who know you well, hmm. and, and and that goes back to that law of credibility, that law of authenticity that you're just talking about. It just keeps me grounded. Yeah. You know, so you know when I go speak out in Vegas to fifteen thousand people, they're all on their feet, and they're applauding me. I just wave and thank them, and I walk off stage and say. That's not success. The gift is greater than the person. Success is getting on the plane and going home, having my family love me. You know, <laughs> having the people that are in her circle because all those people know all of my weaknesses. They know all the stupid things I've done. You know, it was so funny years ago I accidentally took a gun through an airport, or, or, or I, I, I it got caught in the screener. You know what I mean? And yeah, and, and I'd forgotten in fact i remembered literally when the guys looking at the gun i look at it also I said there's a gun in there uh, you know it's <laughs> hey talk about timing talk about stupidity and, and so to make a long story short i'm fingerprinted i'm you wait know, a minute I'm,
0: that's my gun right <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and the whole
1: and the and and the whole process and it took me a year to get through all that process and everything was fine it was not only a gun in the it, not only did I have a gun in my briefcase but it was loaded and so that's a, wow. that's a whole story. And I don't even, I, I mean, I'm not even like a gun person. I just, I just, I had dinner a, a couple of days before with a guy that was a gun dealer. And he asked me when I traveled, if my wife had a gun, I said, I don't think she does. And he thought she should have a gun. So he gave me a gun and my pilots on the way home, one of them loved guns. And he looked at it and he literally even loaded it for him. showed me how to load it. I stuck in my briefcase and forgot, and That's the story. Fair so, enough. Mm-hmm. So so but here 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 here's what here, but 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 in that whole pro- so anyway I took a I took a I took a gun through through the airport that whole process now my kids of course those who know you the best love and respect you most it's their favorite story <laughs> in fact my son said dad no matter how stupid we are in life at least we can say we didn't take a gun through an airport <laughs> isn't that isn't that fun? Just to, you know, just the ability to be able to laugh at yourself and have people that know you well. So they know my weaknesses, they know my strengths. Yeah. But yeah. but but you know, at the end of the day, um, people. I don't think people want a perfect leader, but I do think they want an authentic leader. That's what I. Yeah, think. yeah, that's such a good point. You know, I'm
0: also. And thank you for sharing that with us, John. I'd heard it brings back this memory. I'm like, I think I read about that years ago, but thanks for telling us the whole story. You mentioned the transition from becoming a pastor to really focusing on business leaders. You've also said publicly you've led more people to Christ in your business ministry than you think you ever would have leading a megachurch. So what I want to know, though, specifically... Pastoring is a form of communication unlike any other. You're communicating off Sunday, on Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, new material every week. Can't use the same stories, can't use the same jokes. And I want to know what was the biggest adjustment for you in moving from preaching to public speaking, if that category shift makes any sense?
2: Well, well
1: first of all, Carrie, it was a huge, huge adjustment. It took me three yeah. years. It took wow. me three years. I, I had a learning curve like I've never had in any other area of my life at any other time of my life. Hmm. First of all, for 25 years, I had an audience who wanted to hear me preach and wanted <laughs> yes. to hear me quote scripture and wanted to hear me tell Bible stories. And then I had a worship team that set the environment for it. The first day that I went to the business community, lost all of it. Hmm. Couldn't Hey, couldn't use a Bible story, couldn't quote a scripture verse certainly didn't have a worship team to lead the way for me before I spoke to the company. Hmm. And I felt alone. I felt uh, I felt like I had no help. It, 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 was, it was kind of a, a feeling of almost like I'm naked in front of, the, of this company. And I have nothing really to offer them, except the biblical principles that I used hmm. to teach the people of faith are the same biblical principles that work in the secular world. I just had to package them differently. And I had to learn how to package biblical truth in a way that was acceptable to secular mind. In fact, uh, in my Maxwell Leadership Bible, mm. uh, if I have time, when I sign it, I write these words. Everything I know about leadership, I learned from this book. Mm. And I can remember when I went to my first one of my first gigs after I made that transition, I, I spoke to the largest lumber broker company in the world on Kiowa Island, only about fifty their 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 top executives around the world came for a leadership day, and I was the guy, and I did the teaching. At the end of the day, uh, they were asking me, and they said, "My gosh, this leadership material you gave us—it's different, it's fresh. We like, it. we like it. Where did you get your material?" And I said, well, you, "You don't want to know." And they said, "Well, why don't we want to know?" I said, "Because if if you knew, you, you you would be surprised and unhappy, and I don't want you to be surprised or unhappy." Well if you tell somebody they don't not want to know, it drives them crazy. Then, yeah. know, so now they're saying, where did you get it? Where? So I said, fine. I said, well, I'm, I'll tell you where I got it, but when you, you're going to be disappointed, okay? And I told them, I said, everything I taught you today is right out of the Bible. It's all biblical teachings on leadership. Everything I know about leadership is from the Bible. And they kind of groan, oh, you know, here, I mean, I, I and I told them, I said, I told you you didn't want to know. Yeah. And then I said, at six o'clock is your cocktail hour. I'll be down in the corner if you ever had a question about God that nobody ever answered for you, come and see me. I'll do my best to help you. And that night from 6 to 7, the line never stopped. People asking questions. And I walked out of there that night, and I said, people are hungry for God. They just don't know it. And it's going to be my job to help them understand that that hunger is that they're looking for a relationship. And uh, so I I made that my commitment to, to, to find out so when I would talk to secular people, if ever got on any kind of a spiritual theme, and, and they might say, well, I believe in God. I'd say, well, tell me what you think about God. What do you think about God? And they'd tell me. You know, some people say, well, there's probably God, but I'll never know him. And some people say, well, I think there's not a God. I just work my way up. And that's how I really developed what I call the four pictures of God that I teach around the world. <laughs> and and I got it all from them. And and when I start teaching, they all go, oh, my gosh, that's exactly how. I, well, of course, I got it from them. But here's the key. In the Christian world, you and me, we're already connected because of our relationship with Christ, okay?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, there's just, I mean, there's an we don't have to go through a connection process. We, we, we both have, have been redeemed, okay? In the secular world, you don't start with relationships. You start with respect.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You have to deliver for those people something that will help them in their business or in the success of their life till they look at you and say, Maxwell, help me. Look what we do because of him. So I went after respect first. And I knew that if I could get their respect over time, I would get a relationship. (sighs) And over time, if I got the relationship, there would be an opportunity for me maybe to share my faith. And so that's the pattern we've done for 25 years now we have it perfected. We understand that world tremendously. The apostle Paul said, I entered their world so I could see things from their perspective. I see things from secular perspective, not Christian perspective anymore. So my relationship with people that are not Christians is so much more compatible to them because I know exactly where they are, what they're thinking. I love them exactly where they are. I'm not trying to change them at all. But here's what's beautiful. We've developed ways. We've been very strategic. We have different ways that we now get the respect, so we can have the relationships, so we can share their faith. And in the last five years, in August, we have what we call a salvation scoreboard. People who come to Christ, we, we we'll pass a million in August. In the wow. last five in the last five years. In the last five years. And, and this year, a half a million alone. This year, and in two years, we'll be doing a million a year. Because we do it in small groups, and we do it on what we call Beyond Success Tables, which is all about success, helping people be successful in life. And then on a video, after sharing with them for six weeks, I say, now there's one more thing I haven't shared with you, but this is personal. And I don't want to share it with you without your permission. It's about my faith. And so if you want to hear me talk about my faith, come back to the next session, and I'll share with you my relationship with God. 90% of the people come back, 50% of them receive Christ. Wow. It's that powerful. But we earn their respect first. We serve them. Here's what I tell believers all the time. Quit trying to witness to people. Just go add value to people. And when you go add value to people, you'll have a relationship with those people. And soon they're going to want to know what makes you so wonderfully different. And then you get the opportunity. Make sense?
0: John, this has been incredible, and I know we're coming up on time. I'd love to ask you one more question, which is, you got a lot of young leaders listening. I know you really are passionate about the next generation of leaders. If there was one piece of communication advice or one law you would want young leaders
1: to know above the others, what might it be? Well, there's 16. Uh huh. I've never prioritized it, but I think that I think the law of connection, communicators know it's all about others. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, I, what I would like to tell youth is that um, that you're starting off for your... So you're very self-conscious. You're very self-conscious. Mm. You're, you're asking yourself questions. Can I do it? Will I be any good at it? Will the people like... You're asking personal self-questions, which is very natural because you've never done it before. So I understand it. I ask the same questions to myself. But the quicker you can... The quicker you can focus on others, the more quickly you'll be successful in life. Mm-hmm. And, and I would just say, you know, for, I'll, I'll give them this. Okay, th- I want to give them something that they can take away. I promise you, give me 60 seconds. Yep. There are, f- there are five things I do every day, Carrie. And if all the people that are watching, listening to the podcast, hang on with you, buddy. If they'll just do these five things, their life will begin to incredibly change in a positive way. Every day, I value people. Hmm. It starts all there. And you say, now, John, what do you mean when you say you value people? What I mean is I value people. Well, who do you value? I value everyone. You say, now, wait a minute. You value everyone? Yeah. I value people that are as opposite as me, that I value people that don't have the same values that I have. I just value. But I want to tell you something. If you watch the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you come to the conclusion, he valued everyone. So every day I value people. If I don't value people, I'll never add value to them. You don't add value to people that you devalue. You, In fact, you try to take value from them, which is not Christian at all, by the way. So every day I value people, one. Number two, I think of ways to add value to people. So I look at my schedule. I'm going to be with you, Carrie. So I say, "How can I add value to him? I'm going to be with him for an hour. I want to help. You have a wonderful following. You have terrific leadership. You're doing a lot of great things for a lot of people, including me. How? Okay. What can I'm thinking about you? What can I do when I'm with Carrie? How can I add value to him? How can I add value to his listeners? <laughs> Number three, every day I look for ways to add value to people. Now here's what's powerful: we see what we're prepared to see. What prepares us to see how we could add value to people? I've already thought about it. My thinking precedes my seeing. But when I see now, I see as I think. And so, my perspective, how we view things is how we do things. So, if I'm wanting to add value to you, I'm going to, I, if we're having lunch, I, I, there's no way I can have a lunch with you without finding a way to add value to you. It's, it's impossible because I, I've been thinking about it. I've been looking for it. So every day I value people, look for ways to add value to people or think for think of ways to add value to people, look for ways to add value to people. Number four, every day I do things that value people every day. I never let a day go by that I don't do something tangibly to add value to people. I make sure that happens. I mean, in the morning, who can I add value to in the evening? Who did I add value to? It's that simple. Those are the bookends. Mm-hmm. So, I value people, think of ways, look for ways, do things that value people. And number five is I encourage others to mm-hmm. add value to people. What a wonderful world this would be if we thought like that. Man, you talk about changing our world and changing the culture and the climate that we live in that's so toxic today, everything changes. If, so for the for your young listeners, just, just start doing those things, five things every day. Within a month, your life will begin to incredibly beautifully change. You'll become bigger on the inside than you're on the outside, trust me.
0: <laughs> John, this is incredible. The book is called The 16 Undeniable Laws of Communication. It's available everywhere. I can't thank you enough. John, thank you.
1: Good to see you. I don't get to see you enough. When are we going to? We got to get together soon.
0: Well, I told you that was going to be amazing and fun, didn't I? And he did not disappoint. If you want more, because we talked about so much, including what we'll do the Spotify link as well, you can go to slash episode 586. I'm sure we'll have John back in the future. If you enjoyed this episode, please let John know on social, shout him out. Uh, Let me know on social. I'm Kerry Newhoff on Instagram and TikTok and other places as well. So give us a shout out and uh, maybe share it with a friend because as you share and subscribe to the show, guess what? We get to do a better job every single month. And it's because of you that we got here. And I'm so grateful for that. Never take it for granted. want to thank our partners too. We picked them very carefully because we know these are people who can help you. So check out Glue and Belay. Go to get.glue.us reach, and you will start connecting with unchurched people in your community now. And Belay, They've got a free resource on the top 25 tasks a pastor can delegate to an assistant. You can get it for free. Text my name, C-A-R-E-Y, Carrie to 55123. That's Carrie to 55123. Also coming up on the podcast, John Acuff, Miroslav Volf, Arthur Brooks. I haven't mentioned him. He's coming up. We've got a killer lineup. We've got uh, Louis Giglio, Russell Moore, Jenny Katrin, uh, Chelsea and Judah Smith. And next episode... Paul and Joni, and we talk about paying attention. It's so hard today, and beating digital overwhelm, and uh, well, a little more. Here's an excerpt: The most successful, successful and fulfilled people on this earth have really built this practice of paying attention to what's important, and they and they don't really, uh, you know, swerve off that path. They're really focused. You know, if you come to a successful person, they've had a, a high degree of intentional focus for a long period of time. Really, that's what an expert is. And and Mm. experts are really applauded in our economy. True, You can get paid a lot of money if you're the top expert in whatever topic it is. But really, that's what an expert is. They've just spent their time, their attention, uh, their life studying something more than anybody else does. They're not smarter than anybody else. Mm -hmm. They've just invested more of their time and attention into a certain subject. That's coming up next time, and if you subscribe, you'll never miss some of those other amazing guests that I've talked to you about. So I have one thing for you because you listened all the way to the end, and that is my new newsletter. I started it earlier this year. It's gone extremely well. It's my most opened email every single week, and I bring you a curated newsletter with thought-provoking articles on faith, culture, the future of the church, and topics that I find conversation-worthy. So Every week, I bring you the best content from around the web, a little bit of personal commentary. It's a great way to stay connected, engaged, and informed. So if you're curious, head on over to ontherisenewsletter.com. Join over 85,000 leaders who get it every single week. It's easy to subscribe and unsubscribe, so you can do that as well. And uh, we'll be back next time with a fresh episode. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thank you for making this the kind of podcast that people like John Maxwell want to be on. It's because of you because you share, it's because you tell your team. I am so, so grateful for you. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing.